0: If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds (ASX ticker symbols G two hundred and GHHF) offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show.
2: G'day, hello everybody and thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast Two Cents segment where we take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. I'm joined by mortgage-broking king, Chris Bates. Hello, Chris. Pete, absolutely love this time of week. Good to chat, mate. <laughs> yeah, good time to recap on uh, what's been doing the rounds in the media. Uh, before we crack on to that, how's your long Easter weekend? Oh, I
1: was meant to go camping, but I jarred my back playing football, which was um, getting old. sort of pleasant. Yeah, exactly, getting old and pleasant surprise, to be honest. My daughter wasn't very well as well, so it wouldn't have been fun camping with a sore back and a, a sick daughter, um, and being a double dad. So yeah, we missed camping. We just relaxed around the beaches, um, you know, doing the usual beaches life. What about yourself? What'd you get up to?
2: Yeah, I feel your pain. As a long time uh, sufferer of uh, sciatica, on. The right side of my body <laughs> it's uh it doesn't get better as you get older um yeah look uh, we um we stayed put for easter actually in, in noosa but uh of course uh christmas and easter are the two uh weekends really in noosa where everything goes completely nuts but all all the kids just wanted to stick to their usual routine going to the same burger places and so on of course Hastings street absolutely rammed with people Largely from Sydney and Melbourne, so pretty busy, but uh, it's been a glorious weekend, so happy days. Very good. What's happening on the work front? Um, Well, yeah, I guess this will feed into one of the big news stories of the week. We're suddenly getting a lot of people who inquired about buying property three, four months ago, suddenly resurfacing and saying, right, let's get on with it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that ties back to media headlines, even as we record this today, there's uh, articles leading the media about the market having bottom, so it's it's really people just uh reigniting their interest in the
1: market how about yourself yeah similar when we had a guy last night who you know years ago engaged just went quiet as, as clients sometimes do life takes over right um and they, they come out of the woodwork and you write a lot of it that's down to sentiment they finally feel like um they need to take action they're a bit more impulsive sort of buyer i guess um they're waiting for the reactive sort of um market change um yeah, and I guess so. That's that's definitely something we'll have a good chat about today.
2: Yeah. So if you're not familiar, every Sunday morning at seven a.m., you'll find our Two Cents podcast episode just waiting for you in your podcast player. And um, we have a bit of fun and talk about the main three news stories of the week. So the three we picked out this week. Firstly, the role of sentiment. We've seen a couple mm. of uh, big bank surveys out this week. So firstly, the role of sentiment and why that matters for the housing market. Secondly, there was a new story that caught our eye about the Sydney suburbs where home buyers don't leave. And it was some quite detailed analysis from a good friend of the show, Simon Kustenmacher, talking about the trend towards people owning properties for longer. And certainly uh, parts of Sydney is isolated there. So we'll talk a bit about that. And then thirdly, uh, so many new stories. Um, about the housing supply crisis and how that is going to be solved. So it wasn't really just one story. That's kind of been all over the media this week. Um, so those are our big three topics. Uh, Chris, let's start with uh, sentiment. So I guess um, in the in the news this week, Westpac put out its uh, monthly consumer mm-hmm. sentiment survey, big rebound uh, because interest rates were on pause. The bit that caught my eye really was uh, the sub-indexes for things like time to buy a dwelling that bounced back sharply in March and particularly uh, house price expectations. That index is up 43% since mm. November, another massive increase this month, about 16.5%. So, I mean, that more or less ties exactly back to what you were saying last week, which was the best buying conditions. Well, on this index seem to be about uh, sort of November 2022 when people were really fearful, but that since that time, expectations have absolutely rocketed back.
1: Yeah, I think this um, last week I sent that article to you. I think it was like Thursday or Friday last week. I think we should talk about sentiment next week. And um, over the weekend, we saw the Sunday Telegraph have a full spread around house prices are basically going to boom. All the news, you know, the Channel Nine and Channel Ten and Channel Seven um, prop data. CoreLogic started to release quarterly data that was, you know, showing really positive signs for Q1 and. Um, that sentiment had really shifted, and we were noticing it on the ground, You know, that um, our clients were a bit more anxious, a little bit more urgency, um, and were not fearful of further price falls. Um, and so I, we could feel that sentiment had already shifted. And I think the start of it was all the way back last year. You know, the buyer's attitude started, and I wrote a lot about this on LinkedIn. Actually, buyer urgency is increasing. Um, you've got to be careful trying to time the bottom. You're going to miss it. Um, and and I think that's what sort of happened here. It's caught people off guard. You know, the property market and markets in general often do this. You know, there's a uh, the, the the herd thinks something's going to happen, and then the market behaves in something differently. And that you can go through every year in time, and everyone's usually shocked what happens. To be honest, so I do think sentiments really shift, and that's that that brings in a lot of bias. Um, and I think we'll talk about today is that sellers don't react as fast um, to the market shift and. So I think what we're seeing is a lot more buyers are going to want to enter now because they believe the bottoms here. Um, The media is telling us that Um, it must be true. Um, And all the buyers are going to pack in at the same time or a lot of them under a very small um, number of listings and quality properties out there on the market. And unfortunately, those two, you know, demand and supply aren't matched and. You know, a lot of people are competing over a small number of properties, and it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what happens then.
2: Well, that's right. There's two analogies that uh, Ben Kingsley from Empower Wealth I've heard mentioned before. One is uh, the concept of like a, a pe- the pent up demand. It's like a rubber band being stretched back. When you get mm. property downturns, so many people just sit on the sidelines. Uh, don't want to make a decision. Difficult to buy in a falling market. Don't want to catch a falling knife, and all of those. Mm. Uh, old adages but then when the market turns everybody comes back together and um, yeah. as you just touched on there the sentiment changes much more quickly than the number of properties for sale particularly this time of year because we're mm. going into the cooler autumn months when people don't list and um, even since a, a week ago when you sent me the email saying let's cover sentiment this week there's you know channel 10 led with a, a big piece on the market having bottomed headline in the fin review today um, SQM research mm. is predicting price gains. The sentiment has turned pretty much on a dime. Um, now, I guess the the one caveat here is that a lot of this has been driven by the pause in interest rates. But it is possible, I mm. guess, that we could see interest rates still uh, being ratcheted higher again. So I suppose that's the one thing that that could throw a spanner in the works.
1: Yeah, and I think some of the property bears and um, you know some people have been very good at forecasting the market in the past. Um, and sort of coming out swinging still and saying, look, you know, there's a lot of pain still to come with the fixed rate interest cliff later this year. You know, rates could still go up higher, et cetera. Um, but I think the market's been uh, extremely resilient in in the space of, you know, 3.5% increase in interest rates plus a 35 to 40% reduction in borrowing capacity. And the market's potentially, you know, not that we would talk about the market, but the market might only be down, say, 10%, let's call it, it has been surprisingly resilient It's starting to get, you know, that pent-up demand on a a small number of listings and so um, yeah we we obviously we need a caveat because there could be potentially some new data that comes and shifts sentiment back down or inflation figures are being really stubborn around the world and rates are gonna have to go higher than they expect or you know there's a recession coming and there's a you know unemployment really starts to spike to these things that not to say we're out of the woods but you know the signs are showing that there's a enough demand to support the number of listings on the market. And that's when I mean, the property market. You always got to remember it's about the marginal buyer. If if every property tri- everyone tried to sell their properties right now at the same time, absolutely, they wouldn't hold their value. There wouldn't be enough buyers willing to pay. But if a small number of properties are selling and there's a small number of buyers willing to buy at current prices, then that holds prices. Um, and that can potentially push up prices if you've got competition. So the marginal buyer theory is really playing out in this downturn.
2: Makes sense. I think the thing to remember And this goes back to an old Ben Graham quote that in the short run, the market is really a voting machine. So Mm I.E. it's driven by sentiment. But over the long run, it's going to be driven by fundamentals. So he said in the long run, the market is a weighing machine. And that is why if you're looking to buy property as an investment, you generally try and focus on those aspirational landlocked areas where wealth, household wealth and incomes are rising over very long periods of time. I think in the short term, as we've seen this week, things can change very quickly in terms of sentiment. Mm -hmm. But those fundamentals, well, that's really what's going to drive the long-term results, and that's why we uh, try and focus on uh, those more sort of aspirational, gentrifying areas where there just isn't the available land.
1: And I think this really leads into article number two, Pete, because this is one of the, um, the I guess, the thought processes behind understanding the property market is not just understanding the number of properties um, available, the number of properties that exist, the number of properties that are actually for sale. And Domain did an amazing article. I love reading anything where it explains that people are living in their houses for longer. Um, and I think in Sydney, you know, in back in 20 years ago, we'd live in our houses roughly around average, around five years. That's doubled to around 10 years. And so what that means is, is that we're selling once every 10 years, not selling every once every five years. So the turnover rate, the number of people selling per year is basically halved if you say it like that. Um, and so that means that the chance of buying a property in that suburb is actually halved if, if you want to think about it like that. And so that means there's a half a number of properties available to buy each year than there was, say, 20 years ago. Now, obviously, there's more properties, et cetera, but there's also more people. And what, what this article really shows is that there's lots of reasons why people are living in their homes longer, which we'll have a chat about. But what it shows is that actually there's less supply available every year because less people are are living in their homes for longer and they're less likely to sell. What was your take on that article, Pete?
2: Yeah, so the stats they came out with, median hold period for houses has jumped from 5.3 years in December 2002 to 10 years in December 2022. So 20 Mm. years it's doubled. For units, they've gone from 4.3 years to 8.3 years. And the biggest increase in hold periods was for houses in the inner west from 5.4 to 11.7 years, so basically doubling. And the longest hold periods for houses overall was in Sutherland at 12.3 yeah. years. Now, this does make sense to me conceptually. So about 25 years ago, I actually did live down in the Shire, Sutherland Shire. And I think, you know, thinking back what people did back then, they paired up. Um, they bought a the first unit together, maybe for four years, as the data implies. And then at that point, they trade up, uh, they get married, trade up and buy a house. These days, though, it, um, well, some people are not buying their first apartment until their mid-30s anyway. Yeah. Um, but also, I think once people get on the housing ladder, they're very scared to sell. And they just, they basically just land bank. They'd much rather stay in place and renovate. Baby boomers, well, you know, they should downsize, but a lot of them are just preferring to age in place. And there aren't many alternatives, even for those who want to downsize. So
1: I guess there's a whole range of factors, but maybe the biggest one is stamp duty. Yeah, stamp duty is obviously part of it, but even if someone can afford to pay, you know, stamp duty, which is a lot of money, it's maybe about 5% of the next purchase, right? So, and then you got to pay, you know, two to three percent to sell a property, you know, two percent for the agent, maybe one percent to tidy things up and style it, et cetera. Um, so your transaction costs are maybe, you know, eight, maybe up to 10%, depending on, you know, the condition of the properties and small repairs that you might need to, to pay on the new property. So it's a lot of money that's just sort of gone. Um, in just doing the transaction, but also you have to take on the additional debt because usually when you're you're selling, you're sort of up um, upgrading. And I think the jump between houses and apartments has really um, grown on people, but also the jump between a bigger, a better house than what you've got. You know that that's another big jump. And a lot of people are saying, well, I'd love to do it, um, but a the transaction costs are going to kill me. But also I'm not sure if I want to go into all this debt because maybe you're right. They're starting the home ownership journey a little bit later. Maybe they're like, this will get us through the next five years through the kids through high school. Maybe we can just make it work um, rather than going into a lot of debt and um, people being a bit more. And maybe they also find they can't find those properties because people are living in those properties longer. Um, and so it's even harder to upgrade. So I think the apprehension to the debt's definitely there. We saw it. We see in boom times that goes, you know, when rates were 2%, people were much more willing to upgrade. Um, because they also thought it was a good, um, you know, financial decision. Because the market's booming, so we would made more money if we upgraded. Um, I think another thing is the tax settings on lots of different ways. You know, the in the retiree space, you know, there's no, you can get the pension and have a three or four million dollar home if your assets are under a certain amount outside of your home. I think that's a big part of it. When your home grows tax free. You know, it's a lot of incentive to keep your parents in their home if they also want to do that. Um, because you know that that money is going to grow tax-free for your inheritance. So there's a bit of a, a play there because there's no sort of um, intergenerational tax. Um, so there's lots of settings where I think people are also living longer. I mean, when I was an advisor, I remember seeing a stat many years ago is that, you know, if two uh, husband and wife get to 65, there's a 50% chance that one of them was going to live to 92 Um and so we're all living longer. We're staying in our homes longer. Um, it's not exciting for them to go to aged care. There's has been a real Commission into some of the issues there. So, you know, what we're seeing is a freezing up of the housing market where people are, are stuck in homes, not just because of stamp duty, because of the tax setting, because of preferences, because of kids, um, etc. And um, it's, and people are just living in their homes for longer.
2: Yes, and it's um, I suppose uh, one of the things that, it- it does do is for in for your strategy for young people it's quite a big decision to be made now i mean the traditional model of um, sort of building up housing equity was you buy your first home and then when you can afford to you trade up capital gains tax free to a better home yeah and then maybe in five or ten years time a better home pretty much what my parents did and and most of the people of their generation um these days though um, as you said well the firstly the gap between house and unit prices especially in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, um, there's a big construction boom for apartments around a decade ago. Well, that gap has got bigger. And so for some people now, if they're not really sure where they're going to be in five or 10 years, people are going down this um, route of effectively rent vesting. So potentially renting where they live and then building up a portfolio of investment properties around the country. Um, So it's a a trickier strategy or trickier decision than it used to be, especially with people changing jobs and careers more often than they used to. And if you can't afford the home you really want to live in, then some people are going down that that different route, Chris.
1: Yeah, and I think the big story here for uh, people investing in property is you want to buy into areas where people are are staying put, you know, because they love the area. They're usually going to renovate the homes, the places are gentrifying, the community um, potentially is stronger Families want to stay there, um, rather than areas where people are very transient and people are buying and selling and renters, etc. Growth usually is in better where areas where people aren't selling. And so, if these stats continue, what happens if you know people are living in their homes for fifteen or twenty years, as an average, in twenty years' time? All that's really going to mean is it's even harder. There's less properties available for sale in these suburbs. Um, because if everyone's selling five years, every five years, then everyone, you know, there'd be lots of properties coming on. You know, everyone would be selling every five years, but if everyone's selling every 15 or 20 years. It's showing that these properties, these areas are really tightly held. It's very hard to buy into. Um, and then the marginal buyer theory, as my first point, really starts to play out. So um, watch this space because it's, if it continues longer term, what you've got is actually shrinking supply in an in a city where there's growing demand there's shrinking a number of listings in the suburbs that people really want to live um and there's more and more people who want to buy in there um and so yeah it's a bit like the old game of monopoly people buying up the best spaces on the
2: board and just land banking them it's been a problem in the eastern suburbs for forever Uh, especially in australia with no inheritance tax or death duties people just basically land bank uh, for the long term and if there aren't the incentives in place for people to downsize,
1: then often they don't. Um, yeah. And that's right. And a lot of people have, there's not been great options to downsize. You know, there's um, hasn't been a, an amazing option for them to stay within their community. There's a real lack of, you know, bigger apartments, let's say that they want to move down from a house into um, and so they can't build their apartments fast enough to satisfy the housing demand. Um, you know, there's no land tax on your house, um, you know, when it's your home. And so, they can sit on an asset that um, you know that's got a lot of wealth there because you know it's not costing them a lot of money just to stay there. And so I think a lot of these things are going to come on the table over the years. Just like superannuation um, became a big point recently, where they're targeting bigger super balances. Maybe we're going to start to see some other tax to um, you know for retirees that are sitting on homes that are you know still getting the big pension and not paying any land tax. You could watch this space longer term. I say.
2: Yeah, and this actually ties into our third story, which is the housing supply crisis and how that's going to be solved. So we've got record high immigration at the moment. I think some of that was a catch up anyway from the border closures of COVID and those pandemic days. Uh, but the treasury now forecasts an influx of six hundred and fifty five, sorry, six hundred and fifty thousand migrants per the AFR this week between this financial year and the next as the reopening of Australia's borders prompts the return of students, working holidaymakers, skilled migrants. And of course, we've got permanent migration ramping up um, again now as well. So I saw um, caught my eye this week that asking rents for units in Sydney up 37.7% per my housing market. Um, SQM research had them at over 30%. Melbourne and Brisbane not far behind. So obviously, there's a chronic shortage of rentals in the big cities now. And yes, there's still a lot of housing under construction around the country, but we've got a real supply shortage. So Chris, how do you think this housing supply
1: crisis Mm. gets solved? Yeah, I do really feel for the building development industry right now. They had um, a real multiple you know one in 100 year events right um and you know you've seen big um, build, builders like uh, porter davis and, and lots of others have gone under um to pbs was another big one a few weeks ago these are big construction companies that are producing a lot of new properties or dwellings for the australian society and um it's not giving confidence to other um, developers and builders out there to take on risk and to hire and um A lot of them didn't make that much profit in the last few years because they were all signed up to fixed-rate building contracts, fixed price, due to the home builder that the government used as stimulus in COVID times. And that that, uh, had a lot of demand and a lot of competition between the builders, and so there were very tight margins on those contracts, and then they had all the issues with the weather, Um, you know, how long a build takes is a huge cost, holding costs, um, cleaning up the site, Getting access to materials, we know, there were so many articles around timber and steel and concrete and etc. etc. Even just getting the electronics, you know, from you know, a, a big issues as well. And then we had massive labor issues. You know, um, a lot of our workers potentially went back home to countries, you know, in COVID, um, and then there was just a severe shortage of workers. And so all those have, have really made the the building industry be a real dangerous place. And some developers aren't surviving, and some builders and. You know, I'm not sure if I was a bank, I'd want to be lending much money to these people as well. And if credit dries up to them, well, they can't take on risk even if they want to. Um, and they, they can't. So they, it's going to take them a long time to catch up to the building numbers that we need as a society. If we're going to um 650,000 people are going to move here in the next two years, we need to put them somewhere, right? Um, and we've already got a rental crisis and a homeless problem. So it's, it's not a great picture at the moment with lots of demand increases and there's not this... You know, there are hundreds of thousands of new buildings that are going to get built in the next few years that um, are going to really even it out.
2: Yeah, I think one of the
1: things in economics is you,
2: you find that shortages invariably are followed by gluts. It doesn't feel like it as we sit here today, but I think if you went out maybe three or four years from now, um, there'll be a range of things that actually help construction to catch up and then eventually uh, flood the market again. But it will take a long time. I don't think uh, particularly medium density and higher density properties, will they really take two or three years to get out of the ground? Um, I, I think the things that will um, see the supply picking up again, built to rent, I think that will become more popular. There's a lot of capital, billions of dollars going into that sector. I think at some point, maybe non residents or foreign buyers might be allowed back into the market without the stamp duty surcharge. That's really dried up um, the new supply in recent years and maybe some other incentives. But I think the biggest one is simply that prices will go up for units. I think there's just such a shortage. Um, News article yesterday, uh, rents going up 70% in the unit block in uh, Tamarama in Sydney. I mean, we're seeing that all over Sydney at the moment. I think uh, generally rising prices is what brings supply. And I think uh, you'll find after a difficult period, I think um, for units, I think in Sydney, and Melbourne, you see prices go up, and that will actually eventually drive the new supply. But it will probably be 2026 or 27 before we actually see it.
1: Yeah, you made a good point around the sort of foreign buyers there, around looking at gift horse in the mouth. You know, um, when the property market was booming in 2016, 2017, um, you know, to calm society down, they said the ro- problem is foreign buyers, we're going to put a big surcharge on them. They've got to get everything re- um, reviewed. And the foreign investment review board, etc., and they were really the problem. That's why prices are really expensive. And I think what we're now saying is actually, no, we need foreign buyers. The reason we've got a rental crisis is that we need more investors, and investors have been the fall guy for the last few years. And I think getting the foreign buyers back into the country, it's going to win their trust again. I guess. Um, I think you're right. I think we'll see some changes there with maybe the the cutting of stamp duty surcharges, etc. Um, you're right. Developers need to make a profit, right? So they're not going to start to do these push the button on these projects until they know they can sell them. And that will be after price increases in terms of sale prices. Um, and so, yeah, I think the foreign buyers developments will come through, but ultimately you've got a rental crisis right now. And I think the rental crisis, if you, for example, can't rent and you think that, you know, when vacancy rates are under 1%, your natural thought process, and I've had this multiple times in the last few months, is it's so hard to rent. My rent's going up. I should just buy, why should I pay increasing rent when I could pay a mortgage? And if, if that person's also thinking actually interest rates aren't going up anymore, interest rates may go down and property prices are going back up, they're already more enticed to become a buyer rather than a renter. And so rental stress will actually lead to more buyer demand um, just because you know security and stability and it makes more financial sense when rents are higher. So um, I think that's what we're also gonna see. That's gonna be a tailwind to support property price growth um, Is rental stress?
2: I think so. And also, um, when rents go up too much, then people start looking at alternatives. They stay with parents, they uh, buddy up, and uh, share housing will make a comeback. Uh, It was largely absent for two or three years. So I think even for rents as well, it may not feel like it right now, but as the supply starts to come back online, um, we'll start to see rents tapering off a little bit. Um, It's just, At the moment, we're probably in the eye of the storm a little bit. There's huge migration happening, record high student arrivals over recent months and just nowhere for people to go. Um, But yeah, a lot of these problems, they do get fixed in time, uh, even if it doesn't feel like it right here today.
1: Um, Yeah, there's a lot of talk around the build to rent sector. um, And I absolutely love that sector, you know, to provide more um, great, you're bringing more private investment into the residential property market and commercial and super funds, etc. But from my numbers, and I've been looking around at this bit, maybe there's around 30,000 dwellings right now that are planned, right? And the property market's got around 11 million dwellings, right? Um, The rental market's got over 3 million dwellings. So Even if all the build to rent projects that are planned went ahead and even if it doubled or tripled, it's still a real fraction number of new listings coming onto the market, which we desperately need. And so um, I think this is the the problem we've got at the moment is that investors haven't been encouraged into the market for five to eight years now, since about 2015, 2016, they were really pushed out of the market um, because of issues around borrowing capacity and interest only, et cetera. Um, and unfortunately, that's what we need to you know, reduce the rental supply. Um, rental stress is more investors coming in the markets, so whether it's locals, foreign or things like build to rent. Ultimately, that's what's going to provide uh, more options for tenants. Most Aussies don't like to
2: buy new units, um, which is why it's been so difficult to make projects viable in recent years without the Chinese mainland investors or other foreign buyers um, I think on the build-to-rent front, I think there's always a bit of a stock versus flow thing here. Um, as you said, there's 11 million dwellings in the country and 30 or even 100,000 units doesn't really move the needle. But in saying that, you do often find that a lot of these projects hit the market at the same time, and that brings more choice. Mm. Just, um, you know, you can see a glut. We did see that in uh, some of the capital cities with those high-rise towers uh, about seven or eight years ago. Um, so we probably... We'll get something similar, but it's it's probably a few
1: years down the track, just given the long lead times on some of these high density projects. I think you made a really good point there around the locals not wanting to buy the high density. I think um go back 10 years ago, I think naively, um, and you know the government was also a big part to play in this, we're encouraging investors to buy new property. And they will do again. It's absolutely will you'll see grants to buy new apartments, you'll see all sorts of things like NRAS and all sorts of DHS housing, et cetera. So um, ultimately, the government want people to buy new property because all the tax they get through those new properties, development tax, stamp duty, GST, um, it goes on and on and on. And even supporting the construction industry for jobs and all the taxes they make there. Um, But I think the consumer, the investors now switched on a little bit and gone, is this really the best investment for me? I know you're, you're wanting me to go down that path. And you're giving me those, all this incentive, but what's the returns like in the high density space? And you know, there's been a lot of media around building issues in um, cladding, um, you know, uh, water issues um, in high density. There's a whole building commissioner in New South Wales. There was a fire in Melbourne, etc. Um, but also, people I think realise now the investment returns. A lot of investors have been burnt. They've gone down the high-density route and they've gone, hang on a sec, I've had this apartment in Brisbane for 10 years and it's gone from 400 to $450. Um, i have had my apartment in Melbourne for 15 years and it's still the same price. Uh, I've lost money in Perth for the last 15 years on new, new properties, et cetera. Um, and in Sydney, a lot of the new properties didn't go up when the rest of the market boomed the last few years. And so I think a lot of the investors don't want to go near the high-density space, which is where we also need the most investment for rental stock. And so... Um, yeah, through listening to this podcast, you'll, you'll learn things like that.
2: Makes perfect sense. Thanks, Chris. So, to summarize on the big three property news stories of the week, the role of sentiment well, sentiment is really turned on a dime. You'll see that in the headlines. And the reason that's important is because, in the short run, the market is really driven by sentiment, it's a voting machine. And we've seen that uh, change very quickly. I think these indexes are sometimes a bit weighted towards Sydney and Melbourne. And it might not be reflective of what's happening all around the country, Uh, but certainly at the headline level anyway, um, and for the big capital city, sentiment has turned very quickly with the one caveat that interest rates might still go a bit higher from here. Second story of the week, Sydney suburbs where people don't leave. I think um, increasingly people are taking a longer term view, longer term hold on properties. I think this uh, for us as individuals just means you've got to think a bit more strategically when you start out. I think people used to uh, focus purely on just getting on the housing ladder. But these days, even a first home buyer needs to think a bit like an investor and have some kind of strategy, even if you have to adjust course along the way. And thirdly, the housing supply crisis. So I think um, over time um, this will be solved. Uh, Build to rent might be a part of that. We might see foreign buyers coming back. I just personally think um, you won't see big unit developments getting out of the ground until unit prices rise for Mm -hmm. Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. That's my take on it. Um, What do you reckon, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think you've got a really good um, summary there. And I think you know a lot of people listening to this will be 1st home buyers. And absolutely, we spend a lot of time as a business educating them on the first property is actually the most important one. You know, It's not a case of just focusing on your lifestyle. It's also trying to focus on what's going to you know, create uh, wealth, I guess, for you as a family to give you more options down the line. Um, and it's your biggest opportunities, your first property, et cetera. So I think you hit the nail on the head. You can't just try to get on the ladder because usually the people who have thought like that if, they, if that property hasn't done what it needed to do, it's really get, they get prisoners in those properties and they, they really fall behind and get limited options rather than more options in the future. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week, Pete. I think there's lots sort of coming down the line. It's the New South Wales stamp duty exemption. Um, I think we're going to get some news around maybe when that's finishing. I think that's creating a bit of anxiety in the market um, and we look forward to seeing what the media whip up next week.
2: Uh, there'll always be something. I remember reading a brilliant news article years ago about the latest fad. There was yo-yos and then there was video games, but it's like music. It never goes out of fashion. And uh, Australian property, well, there's not many weeks go by without a few big ticket news items. So we'll have no shortage of stuff to talk about. Um, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. As always, please do send us your property questions via the link in the show notes or even if you just want to say good Um If you want to contact Chris with your mortgage questions or just questions in general um uh, camping expert all round guru um he can be contacted at wealthful or blusk um and if you want to get in contact with me um my daily blog Pete Ward's and blogspot is probably the easiest place to find me but also on social media so Chris uh, thanks so much uh, always enjoy these chats and looking forward to seeing you next episode
1: absolutely look forward to next week Pete enjoy the Cheers, weekend Chris. Cheers, you too. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian
0: Property Podcast.
1: If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify?
0: And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links
2: in your podcast player to get in contact with us.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in Rust Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.